Hey, welcome to the Dying Task Podcast. This week, we're talking about words. Words matter. Those are two words that I say to my morning producers that drive them crazy. I say it all the time. I have for years. They get so sick of me saying it, but I really believe it because if you use a word out of context, you can offend people in all kinds of ways that you never intended. Words are powerful and they're getting tricky. In what a lot of people refer to as a cancel culture, saying, I didn't know, is not flying as an excuse these days. My guest this week is May Habib. She's the CEO of Writer. Now, May was born in Lebanon. She is the eldest of eight kids, and her family emigrated to Canada. And she went on to attend Harvard, where her love of words and writing were cemented in participating with her college newspaper, like a lot of us. So what is Writer? Well, Writer is AI software, artificial intelligence, and it basically protects you from yourself, which is not the company's tagline. But May, if you're listening, feel free to steal it. It should be. Companies and individuals use her software to basically catch a writer using words or phrases that are considered to be insensitive or no longer okay to use. So then the software tells you maybe a better or more sensitive, acceptable way to say something. Okay, so what am I talking about? Some of them are obvious, and I'm not, I don't need to go through those. But some of them are not. So words that are no longer okay to use that might surprise you. Addict, elderly, and exotic. Why? Well, hang on. May will explain what's wrong with those and what you should be saying. But it's really interesting because some of these... A lot of these words are words that I've been using in news for years, but we're really starting to change as society is becoming just a little bit more in tune with how language has made groups of people or individuals feel over the years. So on this time to ask how May Habib started writer, how the artificial intelligence works. I got her to dumb this thing down so I understood it. <laughs> I think you'll understand it as well once she explains it. She does a great job of it. We'll talk about how employers are protecting their bottom line and their reputations when they help put better words into your mouth through software like this. Why you should be more open to updating your own language. I mean, it is nearly 2021, people. Don't fight this. And May and I reminisce about how much ridiculous fun we both had working on our college newspapers. Here's May Habib on Dying to Ask. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I know two things. One, that phrase, I'll sleep when I'm dead, is starting to seem likely. And two, the best conversations take time. Dying to Ask is my chance to have longer, more meaningful conversations without a producer yelling rap in my ear. Personal change requires personal growth. And these days, Plan B is the new Plan A. Ready to do life bigger and better despite the Rona? This is Dying to Ask. May Habib, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. We both share a love of words. Yay. In a big way. You... Mm -hmm. Where does your love of words come from? Oh, great question. Well, English is my second language. And if I had to think back to where it comes from, um, probably a desire to communicate because my family immigrated from Lebanon to Canada when I was in kindergarten. And I became kind of a translator for my whole family because I was the first to really pick it up. And, you know, for years, now my mom's English is amazing. But for, for years, you know, I was the interpreter 
at the bank and at the school and at the stores. And um, I joke that, you know, I interpreted my own parent teacher conferences. So um, I could have kind of told her she was saying all sorts of amazing things. She, they were usually. I was going to say, um, something tells me you didn't have to fudge too much. <laughs> I, I do think um, that's probably where it comes from. And you know, I've always been, I'm sure you're the same, a voracious reader. Uh-huh. And that's, yeah, that's been there from a very early age. Yeah, you you have a big family too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I'm the oldest of eight. And uh, there's, there's definitely a gender divide in the love of words. Um, we're five girls and three boys. And the girls are, you know, always in a number of books and novels um, at any one time. And yeah, the boys just don't read as much. So I don't know, we'll see in um, my lineage, I have a son and a daughter on the way there that continues, but oh, my well, son congr- loves reading. Congratulations, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know, yeah. I've always found, I have two boys and I found that um, the trick is just to find, let them find things that they just like, you know? Oh, and, awesome. and if you can find something that they like, and guaranteed they won't like the same thing so that they, you could share the same books. <laughs> but that's always like the way to at least get them going. Are there novels about trucks? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. There must be. Okay, great. <laughs> you might be getting a little box of goodies from me as oh, I amazing. go through the shelves. But yes, there are, of course there are books about trucks and all kinds of things. Tractors. John Deere. I mean, all of that good stuff. But we're good with the picture books. So he, you know, he's got lots of things that interest him. Um, but yeah, I do worry, you know, when it comes to chapter books and other things, whether we'll find topics that will hold his attention. You will. You will. So how how did your company start? Your company is called Writer. Yes. And what it, we explain for people what it is that you do. Yeah, we are a AI writing assistant. Um, we work mostly with uh, teams and professional writers uh, of companies of, of all sizes, um, a lot of technology companies. And uh, we work within those companies on marketing and, and customer support and success. And uh, folks use it to really level up their writing, sound consistent across the entire customer journey, use the messaging and terminology that really identifies them and differentiates them from competitors. And we live everywhere where you're producing content. And so much of content production now and just writing is happening across so many tools, so many different social channels, so many different content management systems. And that's really hard for companies to get a hold of and get their arms around. So uh, their writers and their employees have writer sitting in their browser and it helps correct their language and some of the things that we've done this is like having the english teacher with the red pen (laughs) yes totally yes totally and um it's customizable and so we work with a lot of managing editors we work with a lot of former newspaper journalists um who you know now work super fun people (laughs) i love those people real type b (laughs) (laughs) um and you know they they basically are, they want to control everything that everyone writes, right? That's what we want. We want this consistency, but they can't be everywhere. And so they get to create their own rules within writer and they get to, you know, red pen their way through everyone's writing without ever having to be there. So is that like in terms of the emails that colleagues would send each other, emails that they might send outside of the company, web copy? So we generally start with um, 
the more formal lines of communication that customers have with their end users. So that's everything you put on your website, everything that you put in email, um, everything that you put in support channels. And uh, certainly a lot of it is one to many. Uh, so, you know, something you'll put on your site or send in kind of an email blast is considered, you know, a one to many, the company to a big audience. Uh, but we are definitely in a lot of interpersonal oh my gosh, communication. You know I thought you meant like one too many words. I was literally thinking oh. that when you said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we can definitely help with, you know, verbosity and run on sentences. That's a that big is feature. so funny. But this is like when, because this is important, because when people send email blasts out, whether it's for a company or for a brand or for a store that you follow, there, there's an art to it. Because if somebody can yes. keep your interest, you might spend money with them. And Absolutely. And if, if they just kill it in the first couple of sentences, you're done. Yes, totally. Um, and I still see double spaces in the New York Times. Like, it's like, what? Why is this so hard? You know, so like, from the like, small copy edit things to the really big, hey, did I just come off as an asshole? You know, there are a lot of things that AI can help with. And you right. know, we, 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 we try our best. <laughs> so you just said something that um, people might not know, but you said the double spaces. Are you referring yeah. to between sentences? Uh, so definitely, like that is horrible. Please don't ever do that. Okay, if you're listening. can I tell you something though? <laughs> As a Gen Xer who for decades has been doing that, I can't break it. That's it hilarious. Is, no, who seriously. taught you that? Who taught? Um, what was her name? She was my typing teacher in high school, Berta Foster. Miss Foster that's, taught me that. That's so absolutely funny. she did. <laughs> well, you got to go to Miss Foster and you got to ask her to use writer because that's got to go. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. She might have given you a run for the money. <laughs> she that's ruled hilarious. that room. But you know, but it is funny. Like, but people yeah. would probably judge me if they saw my double spaces. Like, how totally. does she not know that? I almost didn't date my husband because he will put a space before an exclamation mark. Does he use Who too does many? That? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't have married my husband if he used exclamation marks unnecessarily. <laughs> I'm very judgy on that. All right. You wouldn't have married my husband because he'll sometimes use two. <laughs> <laughs> he gets very excited while writing. Oh, that's very funny though. <laughs> but it's so, true. I mean, we judge people by how they punctuate, how they capitalize, and you know, especially if you're a brand or a company, you know, you want that consistency across everywhere where you're appearing. Right. So, and and you do make judgments about people. I mean, if, if that's your thing, if grammar writing yeah. and good writing is your thing, you will make snap judgments if somebody yes. uses further, farther incorrectly, or if, <laughs> yes. they, you know, if they can't make a subject <laughs> and a verb work together. Totally. You know, that totally. can really be devastating to a brand. Do yeah. you see a lot of big errors out there these days? Yeah. I mean, on the kind of healthy communication, accessibility, sensitivity stuff, which is how we first met, um, definitely. I mean, I see leads in the Times and the Post um, referring to people as addicts and alcoholics, and we just don't do that anymore, right? Um, they are people with substance abuse disorders, and there are ways in which um, how we talk about disability has changed that hasn't yet been reflected in kind of the mainstream. Um, and so I see those kinds of errors, like they're always kind of glaring. Um, but yeah, we, you know, when you work at Writer, you can't unsee things. Um, and so, you know, even something like a master bedroom, like that, those roots are in slavery. And so, you know, the whole team kind of, we like screenshot things to each other when we're like, can you believe they published this? And can you believe they published that? Um, in Maybe I have pubs. never, I have never thought about that. 
about mm-hmm. master bedroom having that connotation. Yeah. You see that at every MLS listing. Yes, totally. And it what should, should somebody be say? Primary bedroom or, you know, largest bedroom. I mean, the what it bedroom. is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one with the bathroom. The one who pays the mortgage. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. Um, yeah. So let's talk about some of those words because as a lot yes. of us have been home more and we are relying yeah. on a lot more email communication, which let's be honest, a lot of people are not reading, period, which is another podcast altogether. Yeah. Um, but but we are having to communicate with our customers through those email blasts and through social media posts. And, and a lot of information is being written. And you mentioned a couple of those words that can really trigger people or set them off or, or create an impression you don't want to create. And I have yeah. a list. You have 10 of them, that, of, of phrases <laughs> and words, and I'm sure you got many more in that little head of yours. But um, you have 10 that, that I think really would surprise people. And you mentioned the word addict. And I didn't realize yeah. that, that addict, why is addict wrong? So in in the um, in the disability community um, and, and, you know, the substance abuse community, um, talking about um, people first language versus identity first language is kind of the, the movement and equating someone's identity with like a quote unquote affliction is what we want to move away from. Um, and people first is like, you're a person and you happen to be experiencing homelessness right now. Like you are not the homeless, like this blanket statement that um equates uh, a human being to something that they're experiencing or something that um, uh, they're dealing with. So the the people first language has been um, the movement. And I find that so respectful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's what is incorporated into some of our AI. So people meaning people of whatever, like of whatever. Of whatever. Yep. People fill it in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the words on your list did not surprising because I've been lectured about it at length from my mother and that was elderly. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's like, please don't ever call me that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I never would. <laughs> yeah, totally. Elderly, um, super offensive. Totally. And it's, it's just, it's associated with feebleness and we can't help what words become associated with. Um, and the English language is ever changing. And so, and so are our social mores and so is what 60 means and 70 means and 80 means. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just don't make assumptions about, um, people's abilities based on their age. And because elderly is just associated with lesser ability, um, you would be making an assumption. You would be making um, kind of a statement about somebody's ability by calling them elderly yeah. versus an older person. What, which, is that just what you, I mean, none of yeah. it's going to make my mother happy, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> besides turning back the clock. But what would be, what is considered to be a, a better way to say it? Uh, an older person, a senior person. Okay. What yeah. age do you think that is? Loaded. <laughs> I don't know. Loaded, I'm I know. scared. Scared to ask uh, to answer that question. Um, well, we have this conversation every couple of years in our newsroom where yeah. we'll have like a, a younger or very new, can I say younger? I don't even know now. I'm getting nervous. Um, <laughs> when we have a lesser experienced producer come in and, you know, they yeah. might classify a senior citizen as someone in their 50s. I'm like, holy cow. Uh, 
yeah. <laughs> this is this is hitting closer to home these days. What are yes. you talking about? So it is totally. there is kind of a matter without having like a diagram of who's what. What's yeah. okay? Totally. How do you so how relative. do you know when you can't even refer? Is there like is there a protocol to when you can refer to somebody at a certain description? Well, so let's let's go back to like people first, right? language versus identity first language. Um, Why do you got to refer to them by their age at all? Um, And so much of um, the guidance put out by, um, you know, whether it's the Black Journalists Association or the Association of Asian American Journalists is like, is it relevant, you know, to talk, to say that somebody is Black or someone is Asian American? Um, And uh, if it's not, then don't mention it, right? If it's not relevant that they are older than you or younger than you, um, is it necessary to mention it? Yeah, it, it, um, I think and, some of it goes back to, and we're both former college newspaper people, some of it goes mm-hmm. back to that was a standard in a newspaper article. Yes. We always had to give somebody their age, which I was yeah, I always felt totally. super uncomfortable doing. Yes, and super absolutely. uncomfortable being asked. I mean, it's just kind of a weird yeah. thing, but you still see that in a lot of newspapers. Yeah, totally. And it's and, there you know, so you this can is the get power- a picture and make a judgment. Yes. And this is the power of media, which is why so many of these groups, like their language guidelines are like guidelines for the media, right? Whether it's AP or whomever, um, they've got so much power to shape how we use language. And now that so many of us have access to social channels and people like you who, you know, control your own audience, you can shape the way that the English language evolves. Um, so that's why it's, it's exciting to be part of this conversation for sure. I think I'm pretty jazzed up by the ability of for words to create uh, just more um, nurturing environments and just kinder workplaces, uh, less toxic um, situations, mm-hmm. even when conversations can be hard. Uh, but we just we got to train people. Yeah. And sometimes people, I would say people don't know what they don't know. Yes, people, totally. My experience is that most people don't know that a word that is second nature to them might set somebody off in a different kind of way. And here's, here's yeah. one that's on your list that I was thinking a lot about. Um, yeah. The word insane. Yes. Which I will be honest, I use in a variety of ways. All, I mean, uh, probably a lot more than I even realize. Mm-hmm. But it can have connotations with mental illness, meaning something far different than what I'm actually using the word for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's disrespectful for folks who do struggle with mental illness. Uh, it is disproportionately applied to women, uh, and I think it you know can be used to negate um, the validity of emotional responses and just you know displays of emotion. Um, and so words like insane, words like crazy, uh, we can, you know, they're shorthand for other things. And so let's just be more precise when we're trying to say those things. Yeah, there's no shortage of other words. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we that's what we try to do is, you know, <laughs> if we're if we're underlining insane for you, we're trying to give you some synonyms um, that, you know, may not hopefully Offend somebody. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I might use it in context of being shocked that my kids unloaded a dishwasher. So having nothing mm-hmm. to do with anything else. <laughs> what would be, and I won't use it anymore, but what would be, what are some alternatives to that word? Um, what's your son's name who might maybe doing that? Son number one and son number two. <laughs> okay, well, son, son number one. Um, I am 
surprised and astounded. Thank astounded. you for your thoughtfulness. Okay. <laughs> astounded. He might like that one, actually. Nice. <laughs> what do you say to people, and I'm sure you've heard it, um, who might say, like, how sensitive do we have to be? Is Can we overstep to the point that we water language down and we're fearful to say anything that we might offend? Because in some ways, everything could be offensive to people totally. depending on their perspective. But but how do you how do you answer that? I've gotten that feedback um, specifically on um, a few occasions. And you know, one of the things we would we will correct in our tool is um, sex change. <clears throat> um, so it's more appropriate to talk about transitions. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is um, you know, whether someone has or has not undergone surgery, right, as part of their gender reassignment, reclassification, whatever you want to say um, on that, um, is nobody's business, but their business. And so to have to like, talk about whether you've undergone something so private, um, in order to talk about that part of your identity. And I said that part of your identity, right? Not like trying to conflate. Anyway, like I've had responses of like, oh my God, come on, like, seriously, like, is this too much? Um, and I just, I think even the terms polit politically correct are um, potentially on their way out, right? Because it's, it's just about respect. It's not about politics. Um, it's about respecting um, folks' individuality and uh, their right to privacy, their right to have many shades uh, and aspects to their identity. So I, I hear that, and I think that comes more from what I hear when people say that is, um, you know, not hate, but or disrespect, really, but just uh, a feeling of being overwhelmed that they may not be able to remember everything, um, and that is certainly understandable yeah. um, and uh, human. Right. We're right. all trying to do our best. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I often get get back to that when things like this come on. My feeling is, yeah, I am trying to do my best. And and I also feel yeah. like it's good to give people the benefit of the doubt and educate before you condemn. Because some people Absolutely. don't know. And I remember this coming up a lot with like the Me Too movement. And I remember having a conversation with a colleague and, and walked out of an office, then walked right back in and said, hey, mm. that conversation is not okay. Like that can't yeah, happen. I love and that you I did had that. never mm -hmm. had that conversation. And you know, that person had no idea. Yeah. And then later said, awesome. said, thank you for telling me that. And it was a mm -hmm. real, um, it was a real moment of adulting for me. <laughs> yeah. Related to adulthood. <laughs> but, it, but it also was very instructive it. to me because, because that person just didn't know. And it just, it changed the yeah. conversation instantly and, and was very, um, instructive for further conversations about other things. So give people the benefit of the doubt. And I guess that's the interesting thing about the technology now is it does yeah. help you learn along the way. Yeah, totally. And you know, you may be typing something um, that you think is pretty innocuous, right? Like, um, why didn't you have this done on time, for example? Um, and if we underline that for you and say, you know, this could come across as aggressive. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a second to think about the fact that you're typing something. It even does naturally. That. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. that's yep. interesting. That's our healthy communication tool. Um, and what what it allows someone to just remember is that human nature is such that you're going to imbue a text with literally the most negative. <laughs> 
connotation that it could possibly take, right? You're just going to imagine that person saying it in the meanest way possible. That's just how our brains work. And we're wired to be on the lookout for those kinds of threats, right? Uh, and if that's not what you mean, then mm -hmm. don't say that. Is this more um, necessary now because of generational differences? <clears throat> or are we just smarter than we used to be about the impact of words? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, we did do a survey on um, toxicity in workplace communication. And we did ask about uh, age and um, uh, generation. Uh, and yes, younger folks tend to be more casual in their communication. We didn't find that they're, you know, more sensitive or experienced more toxic communication or, you know, interpreted things uh, more sensitively. I do think it has a lot to do with, you know, these channels that were mostly for private and um, kind of personal type of communication now going to work and the ways we talk to our friends and family. Now we're talking to our colleagues that mm -hmm. way too. And, you know, I do wonder, you know, when we drop proper punctuate back to full circle of our conversation, right? When we drop good punctuation and capitalization, what else becomes informal about the way we communicate? And I do think we're more likely to just kind of put a bunch of things out there that we may not say in a meeting, put it in a chat, well, there can be some real implications to that. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it has got to be liability for companies. And then some yes. of it is productivity. And there's a direct yes. connection between the two. Yeah, totally. You know, we haven't gone to market, you know, um, on kind of productivity or liability. Uh, but I do think there's something uh, to that for sure. Um, just and, and, and part of that is, you know, I don't want to be like language police in people's computers, right? We, we definitely want this to come from a positive place, a place of people themselves wanting to sound, you know, more positive and, and communicate in a way that really reflects how they feel um, versus, because if you want to be passive aggressive, go right ahead. I just want you to know, <laughs> right. it kind of sound like an <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, versus like HR being like, everybody be nice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> In, in layman's terms, how does the computer know what we're about to type? Because I find AI with writing really fascinating. And oh, cool. Yeah, like I mean, is there, is there an easy way to explain, like, how what you guys have created sees what we're typing and knows it stops us from ourselves? <laughs> yeah. Um, so think about it this way. Um, the, the AI is comprised of models that are built on data and... Um, you know, when, when folks talk about AI, what they're saying is uh, these are models that train and learn in an unsupervised way. So I don't have to say and create these real specific rules, right? When May writes this, I, this means X. Um, it's a much more generalized model. And the real um, kind of proprietary know-how comes in. Uh, the training data that you use to feed these models. Um, and so, you know, what is the data that we're feeding our healthy communication model to tell um, uh, the, the model that, you know, this is <clears throat> uh, passive aggressive or this is unhealthy communication. Um, and then there is something called the eval set, which is, um, you know, an evaluation set, mm -hmm. which is, you know, what I really want um, it to catch and do. So that's kind of like the product scoping. And those are things that, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of human curation about. So, uh, 
you know, lots of debates internally on whether something is passive aggressive or not, right? When when oh, it's yeah. written out. So those are the types I of feel fun like if conversations. You have, if you're having have. the conversation, it's probably <laughs> passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. If the conversation happens at all, you probably were passive aggressive. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Where do you and stand? it's crazy. Oh, where do you stand on emojis? Oh, I love emoji. You do. This yeah, I'm I a little do. bit surprised. I wasn't sure you would say that. Yeah. Um, we, so part of our product, you can restrict certain emoji in the company. So I never want anyone to use the emoji. And so that's, you know, that would get underlined, but I'm happy with all these other, you know, positive emoji. And we have gone through and classified emoji as positive and negative. And so Which I think is important. Of, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, it adds a playfulness to communication. Um, it's, I don't think, unless you really know somebody really well, um, you know, at work that it can take the place of actual words. Um, but I, I find it, um, yeah, I find it playful. And I actually feel like older people use it more than younger people. Um, we've got a huge age span in, in my family. So I have 16 year old twin siblings who are like incredible humans, but also Martians from another planet. <laughs> and, um, and they, yeah, they use emoji really differently than, than I do. Yeah. They use language really different. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Do they use uh, capital letters and punctuation? No. Mm. no. I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen a capitalized word or a no. period yeah. or a comma. <laughs> <laughs> Just gifts. <laughs> you know, you got to meet people where they are with, with, yeah. with uh, you know, some caveats totally. attached to it, but you got to kind of meet them there. Um, I once you... sent a meme to them um, and my sister told me later in person. So, you know, she understands that there's some things that just have to be delivered in person. She was like, May, you know, if you've seen the meme, then I've definitely seen the meme. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to send me stuff. <laughs> right, right. I have a I have a 15 year old son and I realized in quarantine, I mean, it was just difficult to connect with a teenager yeah. and like they've had it's been very difficult for kids that age. And yeah, um, I finally realized like the value of like his communication. It wasn't me leaving little notes on a whiteboard when I left for work in the middle of the night. It's yeah. sending texts with emojis. It really yeah, is. So it's kind of, you know, it's meeting him halfway with the stuff that they think is fun. Yeah. Yeah, but totally. that said, I'm that. like, T-H-O is not a word. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure a writer would have caught that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, you know, there's a time and place for everything and um, definitely don't want to be in anybody's text messages. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Um, what's been what's been your big hack that's come out of the last eight months since the pandemic started? Any life hacks that you've found along the way while you're developing a company and, and doing all the yeah. other things? Well, it's, yeah, it's, there's, uh, I leave little Evernotes to myself. Um, and so going back and reading the ones from March and April, um, I did that a couple weeks ago, were so scary. It's like, oh, I was in a really dark place. Okay. We all were. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I do think, um, you know, the silver lining has been um, a morning routine that incorporates meditation. And I, you know, had always read about meditation and tried headspace and tried all sorts of things. Um, but until, you know, I really hit a bunch of brick walls, um, did I kind of learn how to actually just go in and be in my body instead of be in my head. And that's been really, that's really paid 
off um, in just lots of ways. I, I feel more present with my family, more present at work. I enjoy both aspects of my life more than mm -hmm. I was before, I think. And um, yeah, life is crazy when, you know, you work and you're a mom and all those things, all those balls in the air. <laughs> there are a lot of balls. Yeah, a lot of balls and a lot of uncertainty right now on top of yeah. it. Yeah. What worked yeah. for you with meditation? Because I would, I think we're both pretty type A people and I, mm -hmm. I do do Headspace and I went to it a couple of years ago and for me, yeah. it did click. Although I found yeah. as time goes on, it's shorter and shorter periods of time because I because 2020, I guess. Yes. But that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. What, what for you worked getting into that? I think the, the kind of the click for me was I was trying to meditate with my brain before. Um, I was trying to like organize my thoughts in a way that would allow me to meditate. And it was really only by saying, oh, no, no, it's not actually neck up at all. Um, it's just about really feeling and being in my body. And I, I think anything with like words on a soundtrack, I just, it couldn't, it didn't work for me. And, you know, I was really trying to, I feel like maybe the intention before was more, <clears throat> I want to meditate because I want to be more productive at work. And now it's like, no, no, this is like the best part of my day. I'm just like literally just zenning the f out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just relaxing. <laughs> yes, totally. You know, I'm not doing it for some ulterior motive to be, you know, more successful. <laughs> yeah. You and I um, share one thing in common. We both worked for our college newspapers. You at Harvard, me at the University of Missouri. You were on the Harvard Amazing. Crimson, which has a, a really distinguished history and a lot of like Thank crazy <laughs> traditions that go along with it. Um, for you, what was that time like? It was so intense and fun. And, you know, the, um, there, there was, I had a bit of, of chip on my shoulder starting out because, um, so many, doesn't of, everyone um, at Harvard have a chip on their shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of walked into that one. <laughs> I know I probably did. Um, but the crimson was like, and I still see it this way. I really think it's the best, smartest, most interesting people on campus. And a lot of them ran, you know, their college, their high school newspapers and their high school newspapers were, you know, like ridiculously Tony Upper East Side uh -huh. private schools in Manhattan, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I've never done this before. And, um, you know, some of them are my closest friends till today. And it was uh, just an intense experience. I mean, I slept on our couch dozens and dozens of times. Um, and a lot of people had sex on that couch. I can't believe I actually did that. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was our home. I spent more time there than I did in my dorm, for sure. Yeah. Um, I barely saw my roommates. Um, it, it was it was a lifestyle. I did. I did the Crimson more than I went to Harvard. Right. <laughs> That's well, that how I probably, feel. That was your education, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. You'll never find, I always said, you'd never find more self-important people than at the college newspaper. Oh, my God. you walk in on day oh, one, you're like, yes. I'm here, you know, <laughs> totally. we it's were Watergate. Scoop, Everything's yes. Watergate. <laughs> our, our goal was nothing short of scooping the globe. And, like, we knew who covered Harvard at, you know, all of, like, the big wires and, you know, the big East Coast papers. And yeah, our goal was that we were the ones breaking news that had to do with Cambridge. And, and it, I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, we did a very good job. And there was a lot of things that happened um, on our watch around um, President Summers that are like just Harvard lore now. And um, 
yeah, that was a very interesting time. It was yeah. so fun. Well, it's clear that the, the love of words stayed with you as you moved throughout your career. Thank you. Well, maybe the hatred of like adding Oxford commas and like, oh, you know, all the yeah. AP style rules on a broad <laughs> could sheet. could be that. Well, I <laughs> appreciate your when... time. I might ask you just one final question. And, and that is for people who do love language and, and love to debate it, but also love to learn about it. What's, what's maybe the one bit of advice you would give to people in terms of being more mindful about the way they write? Yeah. Um, good question. I think when you are just so simply, when you're writing something to somebody, um, that is in more challenging territory. So it's a review or it's feedback or it's a request or it's something that has you feeling vulnerable, just read it twice and, um, read it in the kind of least, um, uh, um, uh, least generous way. And if it still reads fine, um, then you can click send. If you're like, hmm, maybe not, just rephrase, edit, <laughs> yeah. edit your words. So words matter. Um, and knowing that, uh, I think can be a really powerful skill. Do you have a favorite word, period? Oh, interesting. You know, maybe because I just said it, I, I really like the word vulnerable. I think there's so much strength and openness in that word. And um, I think that's a word I've come back to a lot um, since COVID. Do you have a challenging least favorite word? Um, or maybe an, a word you think is the most overused these days? I have one. I'll throw it out. Oh, oh please tell me. I think oh. authentic is the most overused word yeah. of the last couple <laughs> of years. It's lost meaning, you think? Yes. Do Why is that? One? Um, um, I don't know, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, there have been a few that have been associated there in the last few years, yes. too. Well, May, thank you so much. I feel much. like I can't say that word anymore like, like, as a verb, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, probably not. I suppose yeah. it's not a, not a true word anyway, so you probably should have. Yeah. What's a good way for people to keep up with you and also with writer? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, so I'm uh, May underscore um, Habib on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, writer is at writer.com. We publish some great research going into our data and, and surveys, etc. around um, healthy workplace communication and, and good writing in general. So we're just at writer.com. Thank you so much. It's really nice Thanks to so meet much, you Deirdre. today. Really right. nice I'll to watch you. those nice spaces. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> May is one of those rare Silicon Valley types who has created something so technical, but has an incredible ability to explain it to people, which a lot of times is a disconnect for a lot of these companies. But she does a really great job of explaining how they do what they do, but also why we all need it and, and why it can make your life and your work a lot better. So I wish her luck. It's really interesting. Um, software, and it seems like it's going really well for us so far. Um, I have a podcast recommendation for you. If you have a little downtime over the holidays, maybe your dance card not as full this year, or is that just me? I am positively loving Positively Chaotic with James Harris. And James is one of the Brits on Million Dollar Listing LA on Bravo. It is one of my favorite shows. Great houses. If you like snooping open houses, this one is the one for you. They're just uh, beautiful real estate. Now, the podcast is conversations with his friends, a lot of whom are clients, some of whom have been on the show, mainly famous people, although he had his mom on recently. And well, my mother would never agree to do that. But his mother is really funny. So I like it because James has this um, 
man, this enthusiasm for life and love of his job that is just infectious. It is it's fun to listen to him get so geeked out about how people do things. And he is, like me, kind of obsessed with knowing how did somebody come up with an idea and how did they pull it off and what makes them tick. So if you like this show, his show should sound a little bit familiar, just maybe a few bigger names. <laughs> anyway, if you enjoyed this episode of Dying to Ask, would you take a second, go into the app where you're listening and leave us a rating or review. It definitely helps us grow the show. And if you want to reach out to me, the best way to do that is go on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at runreadsith. You can DM me and I do read them all and I will write you back. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on Dying to Ask.